Isaiah chapter 9. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read two verses. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And let's just read them in unison together, pausing at each punctuation mark. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the Word of God says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice and henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these promises. Looking forward to the uh, reign of Christ when... um, You'll reign in righteousness uh, from Jerusalem. And Lord, but now we live in a world with human government. And of course, we've seen all of the different forms of government throughout human history. And uh, most of them don't lead down a good path. Uh, we're thankful to be born in America, where we do have certain freedoms preserved but yet those freedoms are under attack. And so we pray today that you'd help us to have a biblical view of government and how we can best serve you and under what conditions we can best serve you. Help us to be the salt and the light that this world desperately needs. And then, Lord, give us freedom, not so that we can use it upon our own lusts and just do whatever we want, but so we can have the freedom to serve you as you have asked us to do and commanded us to do in the scripture. And so I pray that you'd speak to each heart this morning. Of course, if there's one that's not sure they're saved, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, if there's some here or that hear this that that don't have a biblical worldview or that don't have biblical thoughts about government, that they would lay aside their political leanings and just consider what the word of God has to say. And so we pray that you'd speak to each and every heart this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At least once a year, usually around 4th of July, I teach something about the Bible and uh, God and freedom, liberty, government, those types of things. A church is not a place where we get together for political rallies at all. But it is a place where we have to be wise concerning what government is and what their role is and what our role is inside of it. And so I'm going to ask each of you to give me a hearing. I mean, people say, well, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I say, I'm a Christian. Uh, I tend to vote with whoever is more like the Bible. Uh, And in our world where, where things are getting more and more polarized, it becomes more about labels and names than it does about the truth. And so if a Republican's wrong on the Bible, I'm going to say that's wrong. And if a Democrat's wrong, I'm going to say that's wrong. And if an independent's wrong, I'm going to say that's wrong. And I really believe, and I encourage our church every year when voting time comes, vote according to the Bible. Take take that uh, person's platform, whatever they're running on, and say, let's compare this to the Scripture. Are these things that God is for, or are they things that God is against? And see, that way, when you remove the personalities and the labels, I am a Christian first, uh, long before I'm an American or anything else. Uh, I am a Christian first. And as a Christian, everything I do, everything I believe, every action I do, I want to compare that to God's Word to see if I am on track or if I'm being led off track. I don't know if you've noticed, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, I don't know if you've noticed, but this world is, is running away from God in so many ways. Uh, and that, that's in popular culture, that's in governmental thinking, that's in philosophies of everything they do in life. And so Christians are called to be the salt, of that, that preservative. Uh, back before they had refrigeration, they would 
use salt to cure meat. How many likes a good piece of salt-cured ham, amen, with a nice couple fried eggs there and maybe some home fries on the side? Hey, can I get an amen right there? Hallelujah. And uh, making myself hungry there, maybe a little biscuit and gravy, come on. And uh, praise God for taste buds. But uh, back before they had refrigeration, they would use salt to preserve things. And the Bible calls us the salt of the world. We are uh, the preservative that keeps the world from rot. And, uh, and then it also, salt savors, it adds savor, it adds flavor. Praise God for salt. Some of you have medical conditions where you can't eat salt, and then food stops tasting like anything, right? And so, uh, there you go, spices, Mrs. Dash, but uh, it's a commercial Mrs. Dash for you. If your sales go up, I want a percentage. But uh, salt is very, very important. Then the Bible says we are the light of the world. And the light exposes. It shines the light. Satan works in the dark. And so, uh, but things, oftentimes when God shines the light on things, we have to decide, are we going to agree with God? Are we just going to go with what everybody else is doing or our own feelings and experience? And so I say all that today to say we live in a world where as soon as you bring up some of these hot button topics, which really aren't hot button, what I'm going to tell you today has been settled Christian philosophy for thousands of years but in today's polarized society it's like as soon as you bring up certain things it's like whoa uh, how can you talk about that some christians even believe and and the world of course believes that christians shouldn't talk about these things at all and i'm going to talk to you about that and tell you why i don't believe that's right and so uh, i want to talk to you today about a little bit about god and government but specifically I want to answer the question, is socialism biblical? There's a resurgence in this idea of socialism today. We actually have people running for president as socialists. Now, there's all kinds of stripes of socialism, so you can't throw them all in one bin because they all have different stripes. But socialism is, I believe I can show you from the scripture, it's flawed in its foundation. Now, I'm not just making that statement politically. I'm going to show you why biblically. It's flawed in its foundation, and I believe I can show you from the Scripture why that's so. Uh, but first, let's dive in here to the Scripture. So we read this about our Lord Jesus, and this is one of the verses where it talks about government. This is, of course, alluding to the Messiah who would come, and we know that Jesus Christ filled that role, that He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And so this is looking uh, from his birth, and then you see that colon, and then it goes right into his reign as a king of kings and lord of lords. Now we know from the Old Testament that the Old Testament prophets had a hard time seeing the earthly life of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, the church age. They didn't see that, although it was in there. Uh, verses talk about the Gentiles would believe on the Messiah. The Jews didn't know what to do with that. Uh, verses talk about Isaiah 53, about how the Messiah was going to have to die and, and bear stripes, and by his stripes people would be healed. They didn't know what to do with that. We know now that these things were alluded to in the Old Testament. We just have better knowledge looking backwards. And wouldn't we all agree that hindsight tends to be 2020? Well, you can look back at your life and see it clearly when you couldn't see it heading towards it. And so prophecy is much the same way. And so the Bible talks about there's going to come a day when, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, when, when Israel first began, it started as a theocracy. So this is God rule through uh, his representatives, but it was God deciding how the nation would be run. Matter of fact, the first five books of the Bible, which I'm reading through again, give wonderful foundations for civil government. A lot of these things weren't recorded before, and uh, going to American history, much of American jurisprudence or law and how, how they thought about law was based on the Word of God, because these are eternal truths. And so uh, God ruled through His representatives, and then, uh, but eventually God said, you're going to get to the place where you want a human king. And he said, when you choose a human king, I'm going to allow it, but there's going to be a lot of problems. 
And so the Lord told him, we're not going to look at that for time's sake, but the Lord told him, the king's going to want the best of everything. He's going to take the best of you to serve him. He's going to take lands. He's going to take horses. He's going to enrich himself. Uh, all of these things. And so from the very beginning of the idea of human government, God said, I'm going to allow you to govern yourselves, but it's going to come with problems. And then we see all the way from the time of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and we're talking about uh, Israeli history and biblical history, from Saul all the way up into, uh, boy, at, at, at the time of Christ, the Jews weren't even really governing themselves. They were under the auspices of the Roman kingdom. And uh, they had human leadership. And human leadership, when you study uh, human history, you see the, the flaws and faults of different kinds of govern, uh, governments. And so the biggest problem with human government is the word human, <laughs> right? And so humans tend, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but humans are sinners, and so when we base the government, if, if, if the government is not controlled with checks and balances that, that limits human interference, then eventually people accrue to themselves enough power where they can do whatever they want, uh, regardless of the will of the people or what's best for the people. And you see this all throughout human history. Uh, kings get richer and richer. The poor get poorer and poorer. And at different times, even false religions have married to uh, tyrants and now they're controlling countries and peoples uh, civilly and religiously. And it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And so when we, come, when we come to how America was founded, the founding fathers were not ignorant. They were aware of different types of governments. They, they were aware of the European model of government and they rejected it. They were aware of the English model of government and rejected it clearly because they literally said, we're not going to let you rule us anymore. Because your system of government is flawed. Uh, they were aware of, of the other governments throughout history. These were very, very smart men. They were not ignorant at all. And sometimes they're portrayed as just ignorant men who didn't know any better. These were very, very wise men that God had brought together at a certain time in history. And so I, I use this portion of scripture as a, as a place to start because we see the best way of government is God governing. Now, a lot of people get scared about that, because especially unbelievers. They're like, whoa, how could God govern us? That's because you don't know God. You don't know who he is. You don't know what he wants. You don't know what he's trying to accomplish. And you're fearful of that. Best thing you could do is submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Realize he's the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Ask him to save you. Get born again. A lot of your fears go away when you experience the love of God for yourself. And you get to know God. And so one of these days, it's going to go back after humans have failed. Finally, God's going to come back and rule uh, for a thousand years called the millennial reign of Christ, rule from Jerusalem, and he's going to show us how it should have been done in the first place. All right, so we use that as our starting place. Uh, started with the theocracy, it's going to end with the theocracy. In between that, we've got mankind trying to figure out government. And they traditionally have not done a good job of that. This is where America comes in. America was such a unique entity when you look at human history. It's different from any other country that's ever existed. From its founding, from the principles on which it was founded. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this debate today where, is America great? Was America ever great? And a lot of people will make the case America was never great. I mean, they'll even say that. What's all this about American greatness? America was never a great country. Uh, make no mistake, America has had problems because it's filled with sinners and it's led by sinners. But I would, I would have you compare America and our, our almost 300-year track record to any other country on the planet that's ever existed. Uh, it's unique and it's special. And one of the reasons why it's special is because it was founded on the principles of freedom and liberty, and then they had the wisdom to have three separate uh, parts of government with checks and balances to make sure that no one person ever got enough power to wreak a lot of havoc. Now, we're seeing that kind of get shaky today, and uh, uh, you see them fundamentally, and sometimes it's little things, but you see fundamental shifts in history. Sometimes the executive branch gets a little bit too much power. I think 
every president in the last uh, several presidents has ruled way too much or, or led way too much by executive order, just doing what they can without that. Uh, I, I don't think that's, that's the best way to do things, but I understand the gridlock and the frustration. Congress tries to change things, and they'll get a little bit more power, and, and they'll try to exert themselves. Uh, the court system right now is, I think, incredibly overpowered, where instead of, instead of just looking at the law and saying, yay or nay, this fits the law, they're actually creating laws from the bench. Uh, when you look at the American system of government, Lawyers and judges were never made to create laws or to make laws. They were made to just say, here's a law. Does it fit in our Constitution, Bill of Rights, yay or nay? And now, now no longer it's a yay or nay. It's no, that's not right, and here's how it's going to be. And now that becomes law. Well, now we've got different court systems. You know, the Ninth Circuit is, is very well known as liberal, and they pretty much have their own way of thinking. You've got these other court systems that are more, and when I say liberal and conservative, I'm, t- I'm talking about politically, not socially. Then you've got other conservative courts, and they fight against other in the Supreme Court. And that's why there's such a battle over the Supreme Court right now is because it's way too overpowered. The, the three should be working together. But again, we're working with humans, living with humans, and so there's always going to be that battle for supremacy uh, when we talk about uh, America and its, its mode of government. And so I don't know if you can tell, but I'm thankful to be born in America. Man, we could have been born in North Korea. You, you could be in Russia right now. Uh, you, you could be in Venezuela right now. I mean, you, you could be in some of these third world countries that, that uh, are really struggling. And some of the countries that are struggling the most, it's not because they never had opportunity. It's because the opportunities they had, they didn't do it God's way. Take a country like Ethiopia. Boy, we look at Ethiopia, and boy, that, that's a rough country. That's a third world country. You know, back in Bible days, they were a rich country and a powerful kingdom. You know, you look at Egypt, at one point was the greatest, most powerful country on the face of the planet. But look at them now. And so I challenge you that it's not that they've never had a chance and they don't have enough money. It's that a lot of these countries are much, much older than the United States. They had their time, but in the course of history, they have not chosen to do it God's way. And so they they go past their prime, and now they're stuck languishing. And in a lot of these places, I mean, they're ruled by warlords, local warlords, and whoever's got the most money and the biggest guns wins. And in a lot of countries, votes don't really matter, uh, and, and corruption exists. I mean, we are absolutely spoiled in America. I mean, go to some of these other countries, and if any of you have ever traveled, been in the military, you've traveled outside the country, Boy, I mean, we take it for granted that you can run down here and get gas when you want it. A lot of countries, that's not the case. You run out of milk, you can go to the store and get it. A lot of countries, they can't do that. You, you, you appreciate there's a police station right down the road here, and if someone breaks in your house, you're going to call 911. If a mob shows up in your front lawn, you just call the police. They're going to come take care of it. In a lot of countries, that's not the case. And so in America, it's interesting, in America... We have the freedom to have a lot of ideas that sound good on paper or in a book or maybe uh, teaching in a, a college classroom. But in practice, they absolutely fail. And here's the case I make with socialism. Is socialism biblical? I think socialism and communism are some of those thoughts where they sound really good on paper, but in practice, they just don't work. You say, well, how do you know that? Because they've never worked anywhere, anywhere they've ever been tried. And people say, well, what about the Netherlands and Norway? Those countries will tell you we are not socialists. They get upset when people call them socialists. They have some socialistic programs, but as a country, they are not socialists. They get upset when you call them that. And so, uh, boy, anytime you look at how these things are put into the real world, they just don't work. Here's the argument today. Well, Socialism and communism hasn't worked because it hasn't been implemented correctly. Anybody heard that? We're going to do it right. Yeah, I know, I know all those things have gone wrong, but we know how to do it. You can't even run the DMV. I mean, when's the last time someone said, hey, I get to go to the DMV today, praise God. I mean, no, it's you like take a vacation from work. 
And then you just plan on going back, and it's like these people just toying with you. Hey, you forgot this paperwork. And then you go back, and, and now you've got that paper. Well, you didn't bring this paper. Why didn't you tell me the last time I needed that paper? I mean, it's almost like, <laughs> they just, like, toy with you, and you walk in, and they all like, here's another one. <laughs> and I know there's good people that work at the DMV, and I've honestly had people work at the DMV look at me, and they're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm so sorry. This is just the way it has to be. This is the way it works. And so uh, are we going to trust uh, that type of system or those types of people with things like health care and with things like our, our country's economy? It just doesn't make any sense. And more than that, I'm going to show you biblically why I think it's wrong. Okay, so there's a lot of talk about socialism today. Many see it as a desirable mode of government, but do they really understand what socialism is? Are they aware of its history? Have they ever considered what the Bible says about socialism. As I said before, some contend that churches and preachers should just keep quiet about politics and government. They cite the false idea that separation of church and state is a reason for churches to keep quiet. Be quiet, preacher, don't you know? Separation of church and state. You have no right to have an opinion. Well, we know that's not true. Matter of fact, some people believe the the concept of separation of church and state is actually in the Constitution, which, by the way, I'm not going to ask you today, and I think it would be a lot higher in this room, but how many Americans do you think have actually read the Constitution? How many Americans have actually read the Bill of Rights if it wasn't, if it wasn't in a fourth-grade social studies class or something like that, and they, they forgot it the week they read it? I mean, I think it's a good idea to every couple of years as an adult, get out the Constitution, read it, get out the Bill of Rights and read it, get out the Declaration of Independence and read it, and see, see what all this was about, because we talk about things in this vaporous type of sense, but we don't even know the, the structure of it and the content of it. And so separation of church and state is not a constitutional uh, phrase. Matter of fact, uh, let me read this to you. The phrase... A quote, wall of separation between church and state, unquote, was originally coined by Thomas Jefferson in a letter to the Danbury Baptists on January 1st, 1802. His purpose in this letter was to assuage the fears of Danbury, Connecticut Baptists, so he told them that this wall had been erected to protect them. The metaphor was ex used exclusively to keep the state out of the church's business, not to keep the church out of state's business. Now, here's the big lie. They say, well, the church has no place in, in government. That whole concept of separation of church and state, which I believe is one of the Baptist distinctives, if you get our Baptist distinctives brochure, it's one of the Baptist distinctives because Baptists have always believed that the state shouldn't be able to tell the church what to do. Why? Because Christians, and particularly Anabaptists and Baptists, have been on the brunt of bad governments their entire existence. I mean, the Romans were killing Jews in the first century. And every government since then have persecuted free-minded people like Anabaptists, our Baptist forefathers and Baptists. We just want to be left alone. We just want to be left alone to serve God according to our conscience. But a, a tyrannical government or a government that amasses too much power seeks to exert control on the church. It's not the church trying to control the government. It's the other way around. Now, every Christian should be involved in politics to the extent that I'm going to have a voice. And I want to be the light that preserves, uh, the light that exposes, and the salt that preserves. Listen to this quote. I love this quote by John Jay. He was the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Here's the quote. Providence, and that was the word they often used for God. A providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Those were the thoughts of the first chief justice ever in the first United States Supreme Court. Now notice two things. First of all, he called it a Christian nation, which people will scream about. Any right-minded person will have to admit that historically, Judeo-Christian principles were the foundation of America. Matter of fact, the first act of Congress was to print, to pay for, Bibles to be printed and given to American Indians. You say separation of church and state. No, the very first act of Congress was to pay for Bibles so the Indians could know about Jesus. People don't know that. 
This is where there's been a rewriting of history. There's been a lot of history being left out, and some schools are even uh, not teaching American history before the Civil War. They want slavery to be where it all started, and then they teach forward from there. No, we had a founding long before that. And so uh, here's John Jay saying, and secondly, he said, you ought to prefer Christians for your rulers. You know, in a governmental system, we need rulers that are honorable, that are honest, that have integrity. How many of us have looked at politicians and said, would you just tell me the truth? Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you believe so I can decide whether or not to vote for you. And boy, they get, they get more conservative or they get more religious when, when the voting time comes around. And then when it's done, uh, they, they go a different direction. And so there is an organized effort to remove God from public discourse and change history about the Christian foundation of America. You still with me? All right, I still got most of you. Don't leave me on this point. So I'm going to make a statement that some of you will not agree with, and that's okay. I'm not telling you you have to agree with it. I just want to give you a fact. If you want to look into it, I'll give you a link where you can go through and do the research yourself. But here's, here's the truth. President Obama and his administration was the most hostile president to the Bible in American history. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that because I don't like him. I'm just saying when you look at the Bible and Christianity, I've got a big long list of things that their administration did behind the scenes that was absolutely an attempt to uh, stop the Bible from influencing people and uh, Christianity. All right, he, he got in a bit of trouble because he said in a speech on June 28, 2006, here's the quote, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Now, here's the problem. America always invited everybody to come. But two things, they had to be American. They had to want to be an American. And then they didn't push religion on them, but certainly America held to her Judeo-Christian values. It's interesting, while I'm researching these things in the last 15 years since I've been the pastor here, it's interesting how Google searches change. You can look up quotes by founding fathers, and, and it's interesting how the, the shift has happened. And honestly, I don't even trust Google not to wait the, the results to come up a certain way. I think, I think it's been pretty proven that they're doing that behind the scenes, not just them, but a lot of these big tech companies. Uh, they're hiding certain things and putting to the forefront other things. But um, it's changed. The conversation has changed. It used to be that you could look up a founding father's quotes on the Bible, and there they'd be. And now it's founding father's quotes on the Bible, and here's some. And then there's a bunch of links on why they probably didn't say this and why they didn't mean that and why you didn't think they... It, it's like just muddies the waters. Uh, and so here, here's a, a point I want to make. America has retained certain freedoms because of reform of government. If this form of government ever changes, so will our freedoms. For thousands of years, Christians have suffered under despotic governments. We can't make the same mistake again. We cannot take our Christian liberty for granted. Let me show you a few things in the Bible. All right, now some people will even say socialism and, and communism are promoted in the Bible. Uh, principles like health care for all, fair wage, minimum income for everyone, which is really interesting. Now there's a conversation about what if people don't have to work and everybody just gets a certain wage just for being alive in America, uh, which sounds really intellectual and, and such until you realize human nature and what God says about us, and there is value to work. That, that matter of fact, there was a study done recently that in places where unemployment is high, particularly young, among young men and men, Crime goes up, frustration goes up, addiction goes up. There is a settling effect that good, honest labor has on the mankind, where you can go to work, you can do a good job, and you can go home and say, like God said after the creation, that's good. There, there's a settling effect. Let me show you a few things in the Bible, and let's jump in here. Uh, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 14. You know, when, when socialists, and I know a lot of them are... are
they want socialism to be true. Uh, socialist presents a utopia, yet every time it's been implemented, it fails miserably. And so I'm going to answer the question today, is socialism biblical? Now let's jump in. I'm going to say, number one, uh, socialism is unbiblical because it has an unbiblical worldview. Now, I want you to look at me for just a minute. Socialism and communism see man as good and the government as the provider and protector of mankind. Matter of fact, one of the, the communist manifesto principles is you have to remove God. It's interesting for you to study. Look up the communist manifesto. When they would go into a country and try to make it communist, there were ten things they would try to do right off the bat. Things like take away personal property, all of these take away or take control of the public school system uh, because then you can teach whatever you want. It's really interesting when you look at that. And by the way, that's not a Christian document. It's my, not my document. It's their document. Uh, Really interesting how you see these things have been implemented in America over the years. But the, the basic worldview is Karl Marx was uh, an atheist. And that's why if you go over to Europe, you go to, to uh, uh, Russia, you go to communist countries, the government has a completely atheistic view of the world. That the only thing that exists is what you can see, touch, taste, and feel. There is nothing else. And because of that, uh, we're all just trying to, to get the, the stuff we need to live and to have an existence here on earth. It changes everything. And so uh, an unbiblical worldview, let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Look at, at Psalm 14.1. All right, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. All right, the Bible says a fool says there's no God. Now, atheism is on the rise. Militant atheism is really on the rise, especially YouTube and those other places. And you young people, listen to me. I know you're on YouTube and all that. Don't get on there and follow some weirdo atheist giving you all kinds of weirdo stuff, and then you just believe that without ever asking your parents or your preacher about it. A lot of that stuff is almost immediately debunked uh, by, by common sense and the Bible. But if, what happens is you start listening to this stuff secretly and privately, and it begins to change you on the inside, and then you never hear God's truth about it. And so I think there is value to when you hear something, you compare it to Scripture. Politically and in a lot of ways, Americans are in the echo chamber where it's like all they ever hear is what they want to hear. And boy, that creates a lot of stuff. As a Christian, let me tell you, I hear things every day, multiple times a day that attack my very philosophies for life. And what that does is I go to the scripture and say, okay, is that right or is this right? What does the Bible say about that? And the Bible helps keep us, us founded and anchored to the truth. So uh, it is wrong to say there is no God. The humanistic worldview believes that mankind is evolving into gods. All right, so there's two basic worldviews. There's God's worldview that says the, the earth started perfect. Adam and Eve were sinless. They chose to sin. And now the world is devolving into chaos. Eventually it will be destroyed. God will come in and fix everything, right? That's the biblical worldview. The unbiblical worldview, the atheistic worldview is that, that we all started in a primordial soup. That, that there was no God. There was nothing causing all this to happen. There's no causing factor, which is unscientific. It just all was. And somehow it had the impetus to get all this going. There was a big bang. What banged? How did it bang? Those questions don't matter. All you need to know is that there was some stuff and it went boom. And everything you see today is because of that big bang. That's a little simplistic. Here's the difference in worldview. The atheistic worldview says we started from nothing in chaos and we are evolving and will eventually become gods. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more trouble. There'll be no more money. You know, there'll be everybody will be happy. It, it's heading towards utopia. Now, which worldview is biblical? Well, first of all, we know the first one. That's biblical. And which, which is, is uh, by knowledge of our experience? Do you think with all of our technology, a matter of fact, this is a great debate among technological people in Silicon Valley, we have more technology than our character and morals can handle. Matter of fact, a lot of people are scared by that because our, our, our technology is advancing past our morals 
and now we can kill people faster, we can do things a lot faster, we can destroy things faster, and tests tell us that Americans and people in general are not getting smarter and smarter. Actually, as we rely on technology more, we get dumber and dumber. Here's an example. I can remember my cell phone from uh, seventh grade, 812-665-3497. You could probably do the same thing. Now, if I lose my phone, I'm an idiot, right? I don't remember any phone numbers. I don't remember my schedule. I don't know anything. The truth is I barely have to think because I walk around, what do I do next? You know, and I poke it in there, who do I call? I can even push a button and say, call Brother Pash. Thank you, I will call Brother Pash. And I put it on my phone there. I mean, it's like we don't even have to think anymore. But Americans and, 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 and humanity in general aren't getting better and better. We're actually devolving morally in every way. And so you see that socialism is, is premised on an unbiblical worldview in the beginning. Secondly, not only is the unbiblical worldview that there is no God, secondly, uh, that government is the provider and protector of man. Well, we know that's not true because the Bible tells us that God is the giver of all good things. I'll, I'll quote this for you, James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So in, in a socialistic or communistic system, government replaces God. It's the government that gives you a job. It's the government that gives you health care. It's the government that makes basic decisions of life. I mean, in America right now, we're even deciding about how our kids have to eat at lunch and parents aren't, aren't smart enough to pack a lunch for their kids and all of this kind of stuff. And you're not smart enough to know what to think about this, so we have to make these decisions for you. I mean, this is, this is where you get the cradle-to-the-grave mentality. The government will take care of you from the moment you're born until the moment you die. No, sir. God is taking care of me from the moment I'm born until the moment I die. And he'll take care of me when I die. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I appreciate you sticking with me. For those of you that are like choking on this, uh, just stick with me. Let me give you some scripture. All right, government is not the provider and protector of man. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. See, there's that biblical worldview. We didn't start from nothing and everything evolved. We started with God and perfection. He gave us everything. Man's the one messing it up. All right, so verse 24, Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all, what, money, shelter? No, it goes far beyond that. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And all things. See, God is the giver of all things. Now look at verse 26. And hath made, he hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the earth. Here's my problem with, with a lot of socialism and communism and all of this stuff. A lot of it's based on class warfare. It's getting this group against this group. And let's talk about the color of our skin. Well, I'm lighter than you and you're darker than me, so we can't get along. And, uh, uh, and this and that. Listen, I grew, up, I grew up thinking racism was one way. And by the way, if there wasn't a racist bone in my body, my mom would have beat me to death if I ever said anything racist and, and got good for her. But let me tell you something. I went to Chicago, and I found out racism goes both ways. I'm so winning in a black area one day. What you doing here, cracker? Oh, cracker? It's like I didn't have any crackers, Ritz, saltines. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it goes both ways. You better get out of here. This ain't your neighborhood. I remember one time we got off on the wrong exit late at night in a, in a, a, a difficult area. And, and I, I, it's my first time up in Chicago. And I, I realized I walk up to this gas station and there's like glass that thick. And there's a little hole where a guy would talk through. And I never seen this. The, the front door is locked. I went over and jiggled the door and the door was locked. And then the guy's pointing over to this big thick window. And I realized quickly this is bulletproof glass. And he, he leaned down to that little hole. He looked at me. He leaned to that little hole. He said, boy. You know where you at? I said, no, I need directions. He said, well, you better get on there and head back over that way real quick. And I was like, you will learn real quickly that, that class warfare works 
because there are people that are brought up in some struggle and some difficulties and some prejudice. But listen, when you have a Christian worldview, you realize God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. You're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white, you're red, you're chartreuse, you're yellow, you're magenta. I mean, whatever you are, God loves you. He doesn't care what country you're from. He doesn't care what side of the tracks you're from. God loves everybody. And I hate this class warfare stuff that teaches you. And and it was the 1% back years ago. Well, you have to hate the rich. Hate the rich. Why? Because they're rich. Well, listen, I I wish I had more money, but I've never worked for a poor person. I need a job. I'm thankful for my job. And so we have to understand that that the the basis of this type of government is is, uh, based on a false an unbiblical worldview. The worldview says there is no God. The world says government is the provider and the protector. And then number three, this is a big one. Uh, socialism and, and communism and a lot of the isms when it comes to government. They believe government bestows rights. Now we just learned that it's God who gives life and breath. It's God that gives rights. Governments often take them. Here, let me read, and if you would, it's 4th of July weekend, so I appreciate, uh, normally I don't just read things, but let me read a couple paragraphs for, for, for you. This is from the Declaration of Independence, and so it says, July 4th, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Now listen, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Here's the thought. Notice that in the Declaration of Independence, they didn't say, we need a government that's going to give us rights. They said, we acknowledge that we have certain unalienable rights given to us by our Creator. What were they saying? God has given to every man certain rights. And then they said, we're going to establish a government to secure or to protect those rights. See, here's two very different ways of government. The isms in government say government will bestow rights and protect them. And God says, I'm going to give you rights and a good government will protect those rights. See how the different ways of thinking. Here's another thought. Even though the Constitution of the United States is a beautiful and profound document, the early Americans feared that it allowed government too much room to take control of people's daily lives and eventually lead to tyranny. You ever heard of the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights were the response to Americans saying, you didn't protect us enough. Watch this. The Bill of Rights weren't given to give Americans rights. The Bill of Rights were given to restrict the government. We need to make sure the government does not invade these areas of life. So we're going to have this Bill of Rights and these amendments to the Constitution to make sure government stays in its lane. And the Bill of Rights introduced 12 amendments to the Constitution on September 25th, 1789 to the First Congress to settle the arguments frequently made against the Constitution. The Bill of Rights did not give rights to people, but restricted the government. Now here, I want you to look at me. See, we're talking about 
is socialism biblical? I think it, it's premised on an unbiblical worldview. What worldviews? Number one, there is no God. Number two, government is the protector and, and provider. And then number three, that government bestows rights. And God says, no, 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 no. You got that all wrong. And I think one reason why America has been unique and, and blessed is because in the beginning it had this idea. That's why you hear people talk about a restricted government and you hear other people talking about giving the government more power and more money. And we've got to take care of more people and we've got to do these things. We've got to do this thing. No, the government wasn't made to, to mother us from cradle to grave. It had a very specific role that we won't talk about. Let me say lastly that... that uh, the biblical worldview here is unbiblical worldviews based on materialistic thinking. First Timothy six ten says, "For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." Uh, here's a quote from the Christian Post magazine: "According to socialists like Bernie Sanders, the greatest problem in the world is the unequal distribution of wealth." Think about that: greatest problem on the planet is that some people make more money than others. His website declares, quote, the issue of wealth and income inequality is the great moral issue of our time. Now notice they make it a moral issue. You can have babies, you can kill babies, you can, you can do all kinds of stuff, but the moral issue is when it comes to money. This is a moral thing. And of course, we as Christians would say there's a lot bigger moral issues than the amount of money we have. All right, he goes on to say, it is the great economic issue of our time, and it is the great political issue of our time, end quote. The article goes on, this betrays a fundamentally materialistic worldview, which is the basis of socialism. The quote continues, to socialists, all that really exists is the material world. In fact, Karl Marx, the father of socialism, communism, invented the notion of dialectical materialism, the belief that matter contains a creative power within itself, this enabled Marx to eliminate the need for a creator, essentially erasing the existence of anything non-material. Here, let me finish up this quote. To socialists, suffering is caused by the unequal distribution of stuff. And salvation is achieved by the redistribution of stuff. There's no acknowledgement of spiritual issues. There's just an assumption that if everyone is given equal stuff, all the problems in society will somehow dissolve. And that's a Christian Post article. And that's true. It's a materialistic worldview. Money is the carrot that's dangled in front of people. This is why you see politicians, and they just like, it's like Santa Claus. They get up and give a speech, and it's like, we're going to give you free stuff. We're going to give you free health care. We're going to give you free college. We're going to give you free. First of all, nothing's free, right? Everybody in the room knows that. Nothing's free. Secondly, when you give away a, a bunch of the same thing free, it devalues it. So now you need something else. And so this is called inflation, whether it's economic inflation, educational inflation. Uh, there's all types of different types of inflation. But when you give away of something enough free, then it loses its value and people want something else. Right? Uh, the, the, the goal of so socialism is not to make everyone rich, but to make everyone equally poor. And so this is a fundamental worldview that I think is unbiblical. Let, let me move on to the next one. The, the next one. Uh, secondly, why is, so, is socialism unbiblical? Number two, it's an unbiblical view of humanity. As we talked about, socialism relies on the goodness of man to succeed. However, under socialism, a select few get rich as workers make less to support the others. This is seen in Brazil. I just watched a little bit video about a guy from Brazil, and he's talking about Brazil was a prosperous country. They got a socialist president. They got another socialist president. Eventually, those people in power and their friends get, get rich, and then the country devolves. Look at uh, Psalm 53. All right, verse, 50, verse 1, Psalm 53, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. All right, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. All right, so we've been there, and we've talked about Karl Marx, the, the father of socialism, communism, and, and many of those countries, they work from a premise that there is no God. Now, what's the problem with that? Corrupt are they. So people that don't have God are sinners. This is why corruption thrives in these types of governmental systems. Because if you give someone too much power, they're just going to take what they can take. Uh, so corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Verse 2, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not 
1. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. So here's what God's saying. Listen, you can't rely on man, the goodness of man because men are corrupt. We're lost. We're evil. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But wait a minute. Think about that, that unbiblical worldview. They say, no, mankind is, is innately good and, and we are going towards perfection. Mankind is getting better and better. It's not what God said. The thing that makes us better is Christ in us. Look at Romans chapter 3. Quotes the, there is none good, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, and if you start at verse 10, Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Where was it written? Well, Psalm 53. All right. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seek after God. Verse 12, they are all together. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Then it goes on to talk about some of their sins. Now look at verse 21. Same chapter. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through His blood, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, I want you to look at me. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Mankind cannot be trusted because we are all sinners. But if you want to be righteous, you put your faith in Jesus because Jesus Christ is the just justifier. And when you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you trust in Him as your personal Savior, God takes away all your sin and He takes that that righteousness of God and places it upon my account. And on the cross, Jesus took my sin and after I believe, He gives me His righteousness. So the only way for a man to be righteous is to trust Jesus Christ. But here we got a problem. If we're relying on a system of government that denies there is a God that doesn't teach or even allow salvation, and then we put humans in charge trusting their goodness, can you see a problem? Because mankind is not inherently good. It is Christ in us that makes us good at all. All right, let me say lastly, as we finish up here, I said, the question is, is socialism biblical? And I said, I don't believe so. Because number one, it has an unbiblical worldview. Number two, it has an unbiblical view of humanity. And then number three, lastly, socialism has an unbiblical view of work and reward. The Bible teaches that God blesses work and the laborer is worthy of his hire. For example, our Lord put Adam in the garden. He didn't just put Adam in the garden to hang out and give him a nice couch and a big screen TV and some income that he could just have, and he had free access to the garden. No, he put Adam in the garden to dress and to keep it. Most people today see work as a punishment. Work is not a punishment. It's a gift. Matter of fact, those of you that are retired know if you retire too soon, you just get bored. That's why a lot of people retire, and they're, they're, they've retired for a little bit, and then they find something to do. I know people in our town, one guy's a millionaire, and he still works. Why? Because he didn't want to sit around all day. Uh, th- there's value to work. And so the Lord put Adam in the garden to dress and keep it, not as a punishment for sin, but because that was his purpose. He needed a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to be. And, of course, he was going to walk with God and bring God glory, but he needed something to do. And we know that honest work accomplishes much good in the world and settles the soul of man. There's nothing like having a good day's work where you feel like you made a difference or you did well and you can lay your head on your pillow at night thinking, I did good today. That's a blessing. There's nothing worse than thinking, boy, why why was I alive today? I made no contribution. I did nothing. 
Why am I even here? That's a terrible way to live. And by the way, it doesn't matter what your profession is if you get up for the glory of God every day. All right, one man said, don't get up to make a living, get up to make a difference. And it doesn't matter what what company you work at or what your profession is, you can get up to bring God glory today. And you wake up Monday, and you're going to bring God glory. You wake up Tuesday, and you're going to bring God glory. And that gives you a reason to live. All right, socialism promises control to the worker. So this is what they'll say, and, and we didn't get into the definitions of socialism because there are many. Democratic socialism is the, the uh, buzzword of today, which is just a mixing of the two. By the way, I'm not a, I'm not a real fan of democracy. You say, preacher, what, what are you saying? America was first called a republic. And if you notice, over time, the word republic was changed. Now a lot of politicians talk about a democracy. A republic is, a, a republic is kind of like a democratic form of government, but there is a piece of paper like a constitution that governs what, what you're allowed to do. A pure democracy just means it's the vote of the people. If enough of you want to do something, there's no rules and restrictions. It's just you get to do it. One man said democracy is like four foxes voting on whether or not to eat the chicken. You know, you get enough people on one side, and you can just do whatever you want. By the way, that's why some people are trying to unanchor us from the Constitution. They say things like, the Constitution's an old document, or they'll, they'll try to be positive. It's a living document. It was meant to be changed. It, it's, it's out of date. The Bill of Rights are out of date. They're always trying to unanchor, un, unanchor American government from that because that's what's holding them back. Uh, and, and so, but a republic is that where, yes, we, we have control and, and it is the vote of the people, but it's based on a founding document. And so, uh, but, but socialism, back to the message, socialism promises control to the worker, but actually does the opposite. It promises everybody prosperity, but it gives everybody poverty. People who work hard get the same as those who are lazy. This removes the incentive to work and society suffers. All of us have done this. You're killing yourself to do something and someone else who's going to get the same rewards doing nothing. Does that encourage you to work harder? Or does it encourage you to be like, why am I killing myself and you're over there slacking off? I'm not going to work. We're getting the same thing. It's the incentive of reward, which, by the way, is biblical, that gives people that motivation to work, that motivation to do. Why do you get up early in the morning? Why do you work hard? Why, why do you do the things that you do? There has to be some reason. If you remove all that incentive, then what you get is a bunch of zombies. Just going about the day. We're all going to eat. We're all going to sleep. None of us are going to have great lives, but, but we're all going to be alive. And we're all going to be able to eat and have a place to live and all of this thing. I've seen this over here in, our, in the, the low-income housing. You, know, you can have two properties right next to each other, same exact floor plan, and one person is, is not working and has, has uh, the rent's 25 bucks a month, and, and they get, they get the, their, uh, all their utilities cared for and all of that kind of stuff. And by the way, I'm not saying they're disabled and they can't work. They're just not working. And then right next door, there's a couple crying to me because the, he's working at the hospital. Uh, she, she's working another place. They're killing themselves working 50 hours a week, and their rent is $1,500 a month for the same, the same property that, that's over here because it's on a sliding scale. Here's the problem with government. They give people a handout, but they don't give them a hand up. They help them just enough to stay where they are without helping them get out of where they are. And so God's plan is that those who work hard enjoy the benefits of their labor. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, As the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Let's go a little bit further, and this will shock some that might have socialist leanings. Look at Luke chapter 19, because this is, this is the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. Or Jesus teaches the exact opposite of of most socialistic thinking. Luke chapter 19, verse 23. All right, Luke 19, 23. This is Jesus with the, uh, the parable here, and now they're giving their reckoning. Verse 23, wherefore then... Oh, let me just give you a, a little background. So he gives five to one, two to another, one to another. All right, the five doubles his, now he's got ten. The other doubles theirs, but the one who was given one hid it in the ground and did nothing with it. And so the Lord comes back and he begins blaming the Lord. Well, I didn't do anything with it. Really, it's your fault because I know who you are and I know that you're, you're mean and, and that, that you... First of all, you'd never say that about the Lord if you knew him. All right, but look at verse 
22. And he saith, the Lord saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping where I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thy money, thou my money to the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or interest. Verse 24. And he, the Lord said unto, him that, unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. Now this was shocking to the people watching. Here's a guy with ten pounds. Here's a guy who only had one. And the Lord said, Take his one away, and give it to him that has ten. And so the crowd says, Lord, they, and they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Lord, he's already got enough. But look at Jesus' explanation. Verse 26, For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. This isn't the redistribution of wealth. This is saying, you take from the lazy and give it to those who value it. I know this is shocking to some people. Laziness in the Bible is a real problem. If someone honestly can't work, they're honestly disabled, I mean they're honestly struggling, there has to be safety nets to help them. But let me say this, originally, and I think biblically, that's not government's job. Back before governments tried to do this and they failed miserably at it, is the community would take care of people and the local churches would take care of people. But now churches don't have to, so they don't, and the community doesn't have to, so they don't, and the government fails at it, not helping the people that really need it enough and helping people that don't really need it. They're too far away. They don't, they don't see, and, and the philosophies governing that are, are, are just all wrong. And so I am for help. Don't, don't walk out of here and say, well, Pastor Chapman doesn't want to help anybody. I am for helping people. Matter of fact, we help people, and I've needed a leg up at times. We all do. But it's the difference between when someone is lazy, when they refuse to work. The only impetus for them to work is because they have to. This is the same problem we find where, you know, so it's, it's a, and I don't, I'm not thinking of any situations here. I don't know of anybody this is the case. But right now there's a big problem where, uh, children are staying in the house into their 20s and sometimes into their 30s. And they don't work and they, they, they don't have payments and they, or if they're working, they buy a bunch of toys. Well, what's the problem? Let me, let me tell you something. If you gave me a nice room in your basement and gave me a lot of toys and didn't charge me some, anything for it, and then you felt bad for me and you'd give me an allowance and, and help make sure I had health insurance and help make sure I had a car to drive and when I didn't pay my insurance, you helped pay it. Listen, I'm moving in. Make a place for me, because Pastor Chapman's moving in. Mankind, sinfully, is very selfish. Whether that selfish means taking from others in greed, or it means taking from others in laziness, the reason you work is because you have to. Now, you might like it too, but ultimately, you know if you don't go to work, you don't eat. You don't go to work, you don't have a place to live. Some of you need to stop working. But you're, you've helped other people, you've run into some different problems and financial trouble, and I mean, you're working to survive, and I, I, I honor that, and I respect that, because we all do it at times. But the idea that we're going to give to lazy people, or people that don't want to learn new skills, or people that just are, are willing to rely on the benefit of others, that's a system for disaster. And I want you to look up Plymouth Plantation, when the... When the pilgrims first got here, William Bradford, they had this idea that, you know, we're just all going to plant, we're all going to help each other, and then come harvest season, we're just all going to split up the spoils. And so they barely made it through a winter, they, they had all these things, but what they found is, since everybody knew they were going to get it, some people worked really diligently and some people were lazy. But they got, they got taken care of too. So then they changed it and said, okay... Now we're going to change this where each one of you, you can only take part in the system as you put into it. Because they found out very quickly from the, the, the moment they hit the shores here that if you reward laziness, you get more of it. But if you reward hard work, then you get more of it. And so one of my big problems and why socialism is unbiblical, because it has an unbiblical view of work and reward. Well, we want everybody to have insurance. That doesn't mean we all have good insurance. That means we all have bad insurance. We want everyone to have a car. That doesn't mean we're all driving Corvettes and Cadillacs. That means we're all 
driving like back in the day, Chevettes. You know, you remember the old Chevette or the little, the little Pinto or the little, I mean, we're all, we're all just driving junkers. We're all driving Yugos, if you remember the old Yugo. You know, we're all driving golf carts. There is no possible way where you can lift everybody through socialism. What you have to do is lower everybody until equality is reached. That's why you hear people say, well, in America, we ought to pay more for gas because over there they're struggling in another country. Well, we ought to suffer because over there they're not suffering. So their, their idea of equality is not bringing people up. It's bringing people down, and then they come up a little bit, and you come down, and now everybody's equal. That fixes the world's problems. I'm telling you, it's an unbiblical philosophy. Now, let me say this. I appreciate nobody walking out on me, nobody jumping up here, grabbing a pew pencil and, like, charging the pulpit and trying to stab out my eyes or anything. If you have a problem with this, I know that some people have never heard this. And some people, the only way that you've heard anything of this is, oh, he probably watches Fox News, and oh, he's probably one of those Republicans, or he's probably... What I showed you was from the Bible. And if you want to talk about it, I can show you a lot more from the Bible. These are not political points I'm giving you. I use political illustrations. But the foundational truths I'm giving you are from the Bible. Let me finish by saying this. Government won't save you, but Jesus will. If you're not sure you're saved... Put your trust in Jesus today. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word today, a different kind of message. And, of course, we rarely preach like this, but sometimes we need to get down into the where the rubber meets the road of how people and nations and homes function. And so I pray that you'd help these words to go forth with love and with clarity and that you would help the gospel to be lifted up. May, may Jesus not be hid behind the, the other truths, but may he be prominent and lifted up. And may those that hear this message know Jesus saves. But Lord, help us be wise and not, not buy a false bill of goods. Not listen to all the promises on the front end without digging into what's on the back end. And so I, I pray that you'd help America. I pray that you'd help Christians. I pray that you'd help people see that you have a better way of, of governing us than socialism, communism, all the other isms. And America's sick. Boy, there's, there's sinful people vying for control in every branch of government, lying and stealing and cheating and trying to get a leg up on everybody else. Lord, give us good men, as the song said earlier, honorable people that would be able to serve you and, and, and serve our country with integrity and not with an agenda of their own. And so please protect us. Thank you for the freedom to preach your word in America today. May it always be so. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. If you're here this morning not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Uh, If maybe the Lord spoke to your heart about something else, uh, the altar's open. As the piano plays, you come.